1: It's me, Roz. Oh my god, you guys. Today is major in ghosted history. I am joined by Greg and Dana Newkirk. I have had so many requests to have them on. I have wanted to have them on for a minute now. It has not worked out until now. It is so worth the wait. You might know them because they have a series called Hell Year, which... You can actually watch right now on Amazon. It's streaming. And it is so wild. It's about I mean, it's kind of about goblins. It's 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 about so many things, paranormal, and not just in a ghost way. These people do it all, honey. They do the Bigfoots, haunted dolls. I mean they we get into a lot of it on uh this episode, but it's A two-part conversation. So the second part, which will be out next week, we'll talk more about Hellier and um, a couple other things. But on today's episode, you're going to hear one of the scariest haunted object stories I think I've ever heard, uh, at least firsthand from people that have experienced it. It is good, and they are legit. And so I believe every word they say. They are a real life paranormal power couple. I I, it's a fun way. That's a fun thing to say. A paranormal power power couple. Uh, The two of them dedicate their life to to the paranormal. They're based in Cincinnati. They are constantly popping up on different TV shows. We talk about that too. Uh, So, before we get into that conversation. First of all, COVID is completely out of my system, as far as I know. I mean, I keep testing negative. So thank you, everyone, that checked in on me. I'm fine. Don't worry. I am back to normal, back to talking about weird, freaky-deaky stuff. Oh, something else I should tell you about with Greg and Dana Newkirk. They have a paranormal conference that is online, and it is called Phenomena Con, and... I am going to be speaking at it. I've never done something like that. I've never I've never spoken at a paranormal conference. And we'll talk about it in the second part next week. So I just wanted to give you a heads up. Before then, I will be there doing a speech that you can watch from your home. It will be on the Sunday, which is the 27th at 6 p.m. Pacific time, but it will also be up for a little bit after that. I think like a day or two. I can't remember exactly, but um, you can check it all out. It's on their Patreon, which is uh, patreon.com slash paramuseum. And uh, I'm going to be talking about finding the humor in the paranormal and finding the fun in it which, of course, is so important to me. I'll probably also be doing just lots of goofy paranormal comedy, probably things that you've heard, uh, probably things you haven't heard as well. Um, kind of similar to, like, my last live show in, in L.A. I did a lot of different kind of stand-up comedy about the paranormal I'm sure some of that will be in there, too. I'm not sure. I don't know. I know it'll be fun and funny and paranormal related. So I would love to see you there and to support them. And they do such a cool thing. I mean, there's also like Amy Bruni, Adam Barry, like lots and lots of different paranormal uh, enthusiasts and professionals will be speaking as well. So check that out. In today's conversation, we start off by talking about curses. And it's been a minute since I've looked into curses. I think early on in the pandemic, it's it, it no longer is out there, but I mean maybe if you were listening at the time, I was doing like daily little episodes on the on this main feed of the podcast and and I think I did an entire week about curses. And I was looking into different famous curses like the James Dean Carr was one of them. Um, I mean, of course, with curses and anything paranormal, people can say, oh, you know, it's not real. It's just it's just coincidence or whatever. Everybody has their theories. But there are certain people, places and things that have bad luck, it seems. I mean, bad things happen around certain things, And in today's episode, it's briefly mentioned the Hope Diamond. And I wanted to look into the Hope Diamond. I've heard about it a few times. I've seen it on TV shows. Actually, not to name drop, but one time, very casually, I was at an event a number of years ago, and I met Leslie Jordan, who I love. And I don't even know how it came up. I think maybe, pro- it's probably because, you know, I usually, when I leave the house, have giant diamonds on. I don't know, maybe that's what it was. But he started telling me about the Hope Diamond. I don't know. It just, it just came up in conversation. And I was like, I don't know about this. And so I was just doing some research. And let's look into the Hope Diamond real quick, shall we? It is a beautiful blue diamond, That weighs over 45 carats. It is about the size of a walnut, and it is estimated to be worth a quarter of a billion dollars. Now I'm looking on this MSN.com article from December called The Curse of the Hope Diamond, and it says here that the diamond was made approximately one billion years ago. It was originally mined from the Kohler mine in Telangana, India. Telangana. I think I said it right. So the story is that a Hindu priest stole it from a temple in India because he thought it was just so beautiful it, it should be somewhere else. This is, this is a, allegedly the story that I read on the internet. Now it seems it's unclear how, but it ended up in the hands of Jean-Baptiste Tavernier who lived from 1605 to 1689. Apparently he came down with a fever soon after he got the possession of the diamond and he decided to sell the diamonds to King Louis the 14th. Apparently all of his kids, King Louis the 14th died except for one and, uh, he died of gangrene, and it was a very painful death. So then it was passed on to Louis the Beloved. But it says nothing really happened to him. Okay. Maybe it skips a generation or something. Louis the Sixteenth. So he gave it to Marie Antoinette to wear, and then, you know, that didn't end up well. They were both executed. And... It says that the Hope Diamond was stolen from the Royal Storage House. Now, somehow it ends up in the possession of George Fourth in England, and he had a bunch of debt. And he ended up dying a sad death of internal bleeding. So then a man named Thomas Hope, who was a wealthy banker and gem collector, he bought the diamond in an auction, and he and his brother, henry both died shortly after they bought the diamond so that was thomas hope that's how it got the name the hope diamond i guess so that family had the diamond through most of the 19th century in 1902 it went up for auction and it was handed off to a lot of different people there was a sultan sultan abdul hamid ii of the ottoman empire while he had it, the entire empire crumbled beneath him. He ended up being the last sultan of the Ottoman Empire and died in captivity. Then Mr. Cartier himself got his hands on it. He reset it and sent it to a fashionable and rich American family named the McLeans. Evelyn Walsh McLean. She wore it every single day. She even let her dog wear it. Can you imagine? Apparently, once she had it, her mother-in-law passed away, and then her nine-year-old son died in a car accident. Oh, my God. Her husband left her for another woman and then was admitted to a mental hospital and died in the hospital. Wow, okay, this woman had it bad. She lost her daughter at the age of 25, and their family owned the Washington Post, which went bankrupt. So then she dies, they auction off the, uh, the diamond to help pay for their debts for the Washington Post, and Harry Winston buys the diamond, where he would put it on display at exhibitions so that it wouldn't do any real damage. So Then he donated it in 1958 to the Smithsonian. So it says, overall, 14 people have died while in possession of the stone. So I don't know. Could that be a cursed object? It's possible. Here's what I know. I, if a man bought me the Hope Diamond as a gift, which I'm sure will happen at some point, they'll be like, hey, I'm going to just like you know buy it from the Smithsonian for you, Roz. I would probably say no. Uh, I don't think I would want that in my home. But um, you know who's a great, great team of people to talk to about curses? Greg and Dana Newkirk. So we're going to get into that right now And as always, if you want to hear a little bit extra Go to patreon.com slash We are talking a little bit more about Bigfoot We talk about it on today's episode But there's also a little bit more on Patreon this week We talk about the Patterson-Gimlin tape And uh, it's cool It's all cool Alright, here is my part one conversation With Greg and Dana Newkirk On with the show Oh, my God. You guys, I have on today two giants in the paranormal field that have been requested on this show since, honestly, like the beginning of this podcast, and we have got it happening today, and I am so excited to welcome to the show Greg and Dana Newkirk. Hello! Hello! we are psyched to be here. (laughs) You guys, you don't even understand. People... I think like when Hellier came out, especially so many people are like, you gotta watch this. So, of course I watched it and I'm like, I, I've just gotten really um real I've really fallen in love with you guys. <laughs> I'm oh like my god. Watching all of your stuff. I just like I there's so much to talk about. There's just like too much to talk about. So I'm just kind of like, you know what, we're just gonna let the conversation go where it goes because it, I couldn't I couldn't possibly try to stuff everything that you guys do into, like, one conversation. Well, listen, so. we'll just
0: we'll just have to come back for round two at some point.
1: Oh, my God. We got to call back, guys. We're going to come back. Um, so, how are you? What's going on? Holy cow. Yeah. We are so uh,
0: busy. Yeah. It, for some reason, like, everything cool is happening this month. And we just had History Channel at the house yesterday uh, mm-hmm. recording something about curses. So that was kind of fun and and stressful and tiring. And uh yeah, you know, we've we've got Phenomenacon coming up. Mm-hmm. We're working on movies and new documentaries and yeah, we um basically had 2 years of doing nothing and now everything's it's all hitting at
1: once. at once. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I have so much respect for what you guys do because In the paranormal world, there's no blueprint for how, you know, what what your career will look like or whatever. But it just seems like you guys you you also must be hustlers, you know, like always on the go, like always trying to think of something new or whatever, because you guys stay busy.
2: I think it's a weird thing. I think I don't know if we're capable of relaxing. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if we're capable of doing that. We're just kind of like I it. It's partially also because we get to do what we love doing. So it's it, it's just coming out all the time in different creative projects. So yeah, it, it definitely we we aren't great at relaxing and we're kind of workaholics, but we're we kind of also love being workaholics because Yeah, I'm not, I'm not we're, complaining
1: about being busy. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So what were you talking I mean, I'm sure you probably can't. We shouldn't say what you're doing on the history channel. We want to watch it when it comes oh, out. Oh fuck but it. But fuck like, it. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, tell us. It's already done.
2: They can't take it back now.
0: (laughs) We were um, we were shooting an episode of William Shatner's Unexplained, and uh, I love
1: that show. (laughs) Well, we're
0: gonna be on it as long as uh, as long as it turned out okay. Yeah, but um, Unexplained with no E, Uh, no E.
1: Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, easier to, the easier to trademark. That's what's unexplained.
0: <laughs> well, it's easier to trademark if there's no e. That's true. You can you can own oh. that own that made up word, you know.
1: That's true. Okay, so you're talking about curses. Curses. This is something I want to I talk about curses because this is part of the exciting thing about you guys is that you guys do a lot of stuff in the paranormal that I don't, I haven't really gotten into much. Like I haven't talked about curses. I haven't talked about goblins. That, that kind of <laughs> like a lot of stuff we haven't gotten to at this point after three years of this podcast. Um, but okay, so curses, what's going on with that? You guys believe in curses? What, what?
0: Well, yeah, I think I think we have um, our, our beliefs on curses are probably a little bit different than than mainstreams. But um, it's, it's basically about exploring the idea of what a curse is, how something gets a reputation as being cursed. How do you break a curse? Things like that. Yeah, um,
2: I think like the the thing that Greg and I, you know, we kind of talk about a lot. And it usually most kind of paranormal roads, specifically when we're talking about maybe the objects in the museum or how we kind of go about investigating the paranormal we always end up really kind of focusing on conversations around intention and what it, how intense, how powerful intention is. And uh, so kind of subverting this idea of like curses and looking at it from the perspective of intention. So when you know when you're when you think something bad about someone, and and you're kind of sending that energy to them, or you you know you go as far as maybe making something that you can focus that negativity on. That was sort of the focus of, of uh, where we were sort of leaning when we were talking about intention. Or or you send bad
0: vibes to yourself. Or to yourself. You know, I exactly. think I think we curse mm. ourselves more than anything else, and those are the hardest ones to break.
1: Yeah. Is there a general way to break a curse if somebody has put a curse on you? Or is it just different from curse to curse?
0: Well, I think it depends. Um, you know, Dana's answer might be a little different, but I think it depends on how much power you've already given that curse and yeah. how much how much power other people have. When you think about things that are famous curses, like the Hope Diamond is a great example mm-hmm. of it, you mm-hmm. typically think about things that people have consistently for for you know decades if not centuries loaded with ideas of what a curse is and what this thing has done to them and how it's affected them and and it's like planting a seed right Mm -hmm. and so when that seed is planted that there's a curse it only grows if you water it and sometimes they turn into these massive redwood trees that are very hard to chop down so we're all about conflict resolution and the idea that if you can kind of step back and look at something and dissect why this thing is cursed, why, where did this originate, um, what, you know, culturally, uh, society, societally, um, you know, even personally, how, how do you relate to this idea of a curse, if you can sort of dissect that you can dismantle it. You can make yeah. it go away.
2: Yeah. It's, it's kind of a really, like rooted in belief, right? So if you believe in a curse, if you believe that you've been cursed, you are. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of like reminding people that, 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 Belief is sort of the seed for that curse to grow from.
0: And sometimes it requires a little bit more than, you know, just positive thoughts. Sometimes to anchor that idea in your head, you you have to do a ritual. Mm -hmm. That ritual helps you get into that mental headspace where the physical act of unbinding something, um, pulling the nails out of something. uh, Releasing
2: yourself from something. Exactly.
0: Separating yourself. Cutting a cord. Physically cutting a cord. um, It works symbolically in in your own subconscious to sever your connection to that curse
1: do you guys know about um a took the the movie script that they say is cursed oh yes i believe i do um
0: are you talking about a script or are you talking about that there was like an actual short film that's like black and white it's real creepy
1: oh there's that too no this is um this movie script that it's supposed to be this comedy. I want to say seventies or eighties. It was written and they say that it's cursed because Mm. every actor that got offered the lead role died. And it's like John Candy, Chris Farley. um, It's like all these. And allegedly that it it is fact that those people were offered those roles. And now who who knows if it's a coincidence? I don't know, Mm. but it's like, I don't know. But so it's it's been shelved for a number of years because nobody wants to take the script. Let's make it. Let's yeah. do it. Let's do
0: it. Let's do it. Let's find that script. We'll just do a fan film and we'll see if it affects us. <laughs> exactly.
1: Oh, my God. Oh, you know, a big star that I know you guys worked. With. OK, so you're working with all the stars. William <laughs> Shatner, Jeff Goldblum. Yes. yes. Okay, is he just like a gift from the gods or what? He's he's the he best. He probably right? is a god, I'm frankly. I'm pretty
2: sure he's not human. He's no. like the most magical creature on the face of the planet. And he... He's like one of those people that you you're almost afraid to meet because you're like, please don't like ruin this for me. I just want to believe that you are like a magical god, and he is like <laughs> he, he is. is literally everything yeah. you think and and just like the loveliest human being on the planet. Like so kind to people, so humble, and just pure magic.
0: <laughs> just constantly flirting with every every
2: everyone everything
0: everybody. everything constantly. he comes into you're contact. Just, he's with. just very you are under his spell he, easily, when you're around. You him.
1: get pulled into his orbit very yeah. easily. I've uh, I know a lot of people that know him or I've just I've heard so many stories that he's just like he's that he's just so nice. Nobody has a bad thing to say. He's just great. He's wonderful. So you guys were on his show world according <laughs> to jeff goldblum on um discovery plus and you guys went Bigfoot hunting with him what we did
0: <laughs> we uh, uh we apparently got recommended and he picked us out of a group of bigfoot hunters and we we had to have a conversation with the the crew. Cause it's a national geographic show. So it's, I mean, it's like Emmy nominated <laughs> yeah. and we had to tell them like, listen, we're not those kind of Bigfoot hunters. Yeah. You know, we're not going to be able to like pick up a piece of scat and tell you what yeah. it came from. We can't or,
2: like go those tracks are from this type of man. Like where yeah. we don't have those cool cryptozoology hats or like, we no, just, you gotta like, have
0: a silly hat to yeah. be a cryptozoologist.
2: <laughs> we were like, <laughs> we have really, really weird ideas about what Bigfoot is like even weirder than just the normal traditional Bigfoot is a, a undiscovered mm-hmm. primate. Great ideas.
0: So we we're very upfront with them. And they were like, oh no, no, that's why Jeff wants you. <laughs> he doesn't want to hang out with normal Bigfoot hunters. Yeah. He wants to hang out with people who think Bigfoot's a, a, an egregore, a thought form, roaming around the forest. And um it was great. They kept us away from him uh, on purpose until it was time to meet him. And they just stuck us in the redwoods. Uh this this it was the same forest that they uh used for Endor in Star Wars and Jurassic Park 2, mm-hmm. which he was in. Oh my God. And we're just sitting there by this big fallen redwood tree. And then all of a sudden we see this impeccably dressed man in this like so well manicured, well (laughs) manicured. He's got like Italian leather boots on in the forest. He's got this like crazy long trench coat, this beautiful black trench coat. And he comes around uh, the corner and he looks at us and he just like puts his fingers to his temple. And he goes, the new Kirk. <laughs> and I looked at Dana and I was like, I cannot believe this is we might as well have been meeting Bigfoot. Yeah, it's <laughs> unbelievably surreal. Is legendary. Yeah. So we uh, tortured him for a couple a uh, couple days, telling him all kinds of crazy stories and making him smell this like Bigfoot pheromone. That's the most disgusting thing I've ever smelled in my life. And uh, now where
1: does somebody get their hands on Bigfoot pheromones? <laughs>
0: There's a uh, like a uh, an actual lab, like a scientific lab out of Minnesota, who they created their own pheromone chip that looks very much like the same kind that hunters would use for deer hunting. And it's um, this little orange chip that has combined like great ape pheromones and human pheromones uh, because they believe that it will attract uh, Bigfoot. It's the closest they can get. And my God, it's does disgusting. it smell like... Oh it smells like a really musty, horrific locker room.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but does it work? Does it does it get the bigfoot?
2: We try. We like we tried an honest experiment with uh with the chips, and the only thing that happened is it. We we left one in a tree, and we put a, a trail camera next to it mm-hmm. in the middle of the woods, and uh, we got a lot of deer. <laughs> Unfortunately, no no bigfoot though.
0: I will say that one when we did that um, we had a bunch of our followers dare us to put one in our mouths. Oh, God. So I was like, you know what, if we raise some money for charity, if you guys will help me raise a thousand dollars for charity, I'll put it in my mouth. Ooh. And they raised like seven grand. Oh yeah. my God. Did you put my, seven in your mouth? No, God, no <laughs> one. I could barely keep it in my mouth. Like for a minute, and it was like 30 seconds. And the I craziest think. thing was for a solid week. All of the dogs in the neighborhood were freaking out, yeah. trying to warn the entire neighborhood that there's a giant monkey man monster <laughs> running around <laughs> Cincinnati, screaming and howling. And, and this is the worst part. I have not quite smelled the same since I put that thing in my mouth. No. Very. It was for a uh, good cause. Uh, hair in weird places, very musky, <laughs> though I may have permanently damaged my DNA.
1: I mean, yeah, you might be turning into a Bigfoot. Uh,
0: I guess there's worse things that could happen.
1: Yeah, if you go out (laughs) in those woods, they might try to um, make out with you or something, one of those big feet.
0: Hey, if that's how we have to get the evidence.
1: Gotta do it. Gotta be the bait. (laughs) Well, I like the idea of um, there being some kind of magic behind it. And... It being the manifestation of someone's, um, you know, magic practices. Oh yeah, Which yeah. I've heard you guys talk a little bit about. I mean, is that is that your leading theory at this point, or what do you think? Well, listen, the,
0: the you know, cryptozoologists hate it. Like real serious ones hate it. When like we took the finding Bigfoot team out uh, for like two weeks in Mount Shasta. Uh, their their production crew brought us in as an alternate team to investigate all the cases they wouldn't touch because they're very like, you know, Bigfoot is a flesh and blood creature. It's just really good at hiding. And to us. Really good. Like 50 oh, years. Of for hiding. sure. For us, though, it's it seems. Like a ghost, you see the same exact things with a ghost. So there's no, you know, there's no physical bodies ever. There's no, there's no conclusive hair. They find hair all the time, but it always comes back from the lab. Like, no, this isn't, this is a human hair. Um, there's no conclusive hair, uh, you know, and yet it leaves footprints and yet tons of people see it. So many people see it that it would have to be one of the most well-organized hoaxes in the world. So there's mm-hmm. something going on there. And to me, it seems like a ghost. I remember having a conversation with Bobo. I'm pretty sure it's in the episode where he's like, you know, they're, they're attacking deer. They're leaving footprints. He's like, ghost, don't do that. And I'm like, no, no, you, you say that because you you didn't grow up in the paranormal community. Mm -hmm. One of the oldest tricks Mm -hmm. in the book is to put baby powder down on the ground and then have the footprints show up. Mm -hmm. You know, there's all stories about like little kids, handprints on windows, things like that. We just don't think twice about them because they look like ours. But if it's the ghost of something that maybe used to exist or something that has been willed into existence by hundreds of thousands of people meditating on the Patterson Gimlin footage or, or whatever their idea of an ideal Bigfoot looks like, well, sure. That explains all of the issues that we have with capturing any evidence of it um, or finding a physical body. So.
2: I think that really interesting thing. And, and, you know, it, it's obviously kind of where our interest lies. When you look at a lot of a majority of kind of Bigfoot cases or Bigfoot investigations, you're you're really seeing in most cases the the ones that are aren't paranormal, but there's so many of them. There are so many cases of bigfoot sightings where you have, uh, you know, green flashes of light that follow the experience, or feelings of hallucination, or being hypnotized, or seeing something there that's not there, or missing time, and they're so obviously connected to a lot of paranormal experiences, like those. You know, one of the things that we experienced that sticks out in my mind when we were filming that Finding Bigfoot episode is we are we we got to the, a location that we were going to be looking and investigating, and right as we w- went out into the field. Like a ton of people's uh, tech went down, so all their batteries were getting drained. They're like, and they were they were sort of confused, but it seemed like it was something that was pretty common for the for the crew, and um, you know, they they were just sort of like, oh, it happens, you know, occasionally happens. But Greg and I, having a background, you know, in the ghost space a little bit more, we know that happens. A lot when when paranormal investigators go into places and their batteries get drained and and it's very likely you know a, a strange occurrence versus like just kind of coming into like a bunch of bad batteries or something like that. So the one thing that we really kind of discovered because of that experience was that that crossover that exists sort of in all of these spaces, whether it's ufology or. Ghost hunting or cryptozoology. There's so much crossover that gets overlooked because, you know, the the cryptozoology community tend to be those flesh and blood uh, minded people, where they're looking for undiscovered discovered primates or animals, but yet they're having very very strange paranormal experiences, and those cases tend to get kind of tossed out because it's not really of interest to them.
0: More more of these people should be dipping their toes into things that they maybe aren't terribly interested in like bigfoot hunters should be talking to ghost hunters and ghost hunters should be talking to ufologists and if if they all kind of dip their toes and were a little more diversified they would see that there is a massive amount of crossover and they're all missing information that can help them all put together their individual puzzles
1: it's also way more fun yeah yeah exactly of course god well <laughs> we covered bigfoot next topic <laughs> <laughs> um can we talk about the museum and and the haunted objects and stuff of course absolutely Dana okay, and I... t- tell everybody about your your museum Dane and I run uh, the world's only mobile
0: museum of the unexplained, and it contains everything from artifacts from some of the most famous hauntings in history. Um, We have alleged crashed UFO parts from famous UFO crashes. We've got uh, items relating to the history of psychic testing. Um, We even have movie props, Uh, you know, like we have... fox Mulder's flashlight and dana scully's gun things relating to the pop culture of the paranormal and um we do have a few pretty wild haunted artifacts in there that we've experienced some really strange activity with and we take these things across the country uh all over and um people have lots of really weird experiences in the museum
1: Ooh, so where's all the stuff right now Right next to us.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're sitting in our kind of, I'll I'll have to send you a picture. We're sitting in our new studio and um, we set it up for the the history channel shoot the other day, kind of busted out all the greatest hits. And so they're all staring at us as we talk.
1: (laughs) Oh my God. So how do you, how do you just live with that? (laughs) I mean, I, I, I know you guys aren't like, uh, uh, you know, scared traditionally or whatever the way that that a a normal person that doesn't have experience with this stuff would be but like is that a nuisance out (laughs) of ever
2: it's it has absolutely been at certain points I think at this this point having so many different weird things and and, you know a lot of them being relatively active objects we've kind of learned how to sort of i think we think about it in terms of like their roommates to a
0: degree like we're uh-huh.
2: we just sort of we have we respect one another's space and and
0: sometimes and, you get one that's kind of loud yeah he doesn't pay the rent on time and you know you have to <laughs> the conflict resolution it's that right kind of, yeah
2: it's the the interesting thing i think about what we do is when people so a majority of the objects in the museum are donated um people send things to our po box they they see us at events and bring us things And, um, you know, one of the things that we do is we always ask people to, if they're going to donate something to the museum, give us a handwritten note, something that kind of details their experience with the object, any history, anything that they can give us, because we sort of think about it as uh, the the jumping off point. So when someone gives something to us, it's sort of like our investigation begins and we really want to do as much as we possibly can to understand the history of the object, the folklore around the object, the the activity that people have experienced with it. Because one of the things that we've learned throughout the years being kind of caretakers for these, these weird things is that more often than not when you get something that is kind of frightening and people have had frightening experiences around it, it's likely that there's something going on there, and so we are kind of always thinking about it from the ethics of uh, if there's an intelligence attached to an object or an aspect of an intelligence that's attached to an object. It's kind of our responsibility, to a degree, to help it. If there if if there's something there that requires assistance or help, then then that's kind of what we want to do. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think just having that mindset. Uh, going into dealing with some of the scarier things actually does create a bit of a, a nice like boundary where mm-hmm. we're you know we we recognize that uh, what we're doing is kind of weird and different but um, hopefully again there's that conflict resolution hopefully we can figure out why and if there's something that we can do to help the experience to help the intelligence uh, and that's what we'll do
1: yeah it's interesting after talking about curses because you know some of course there's cursed objects and, and that kind of a thing. So I, I imagine that you probably take that same logic of um, intention and everything with that. I mean, do you believe that there's objects that are, you know, truly evil and, and can really mess somebody up? I think
0: that, you know, if, if we ascribe intelligence to items or places or or spirits or ghosts, whatever, If we ascribe intelligence to them, we have to give them the benefit of the doubt. We have to say, you know, every human has the capacity to be ultimate good or ultimate evil. They make that choice. And a lot of the times, that choice is defined by the experiences that they've gone through, um, their surroundings, and, and, you know, their own just their own thought processes. So we always try to look at things from a very neutral perspective if we can. So even something that shows up, like here's a perfect example. I'll tell you a little story about one of the objects. It was the it's the only thing we've ever had to return, and it was an item that was sent to us by a couple of hikers who found it in a cave in the Catskill Mountains. They were way off the beaten path, and they they find this uh, little outcropping, and in it is uh is this effigy that looks like a carving of a woman, fairly old, and there are. Uh, nails driven into the eyes and a noose around the neck and looking at it like if you know any like even have the most fleeting pop culture reference for what a a curse looks like you look at that and go that's not nice yeah and (laughs)
1: yeah oh cute doll exactly
0: um one of the guys decided to take it home And almost immediately, what you imagine happens uh, (laughs) in that situation begins to occur. Wet wet footprints begin to manifest. Um, They begin to smell this terrible stench of of standing water, like pond water.
2: Their animals were acting really strange. Just kind of a a slew of bizarre things start happening in and around their house.
0: The last straw was when they came home. statue's not where they left it. And they see what looks like a an old crone, a naked woman standing in the corner of their house, scraggly hair, dripping wet, and their dog is freaking out. And at that point, they said, we can't have this thing anymore. They ended up um, contacting us. So you guys are like, oh, we'll take it. <laughs> well, no. I mean, again, we're. I'm very much about... Uh, there's this weird thing in the paranormal realm where there's, there's people who want to tell you, like, I'm the only one who can solve your problem. My, my God can solve your problem. My belief system Mm -hmm. can solve your problem. My expertise can solve your problem. Yada, yada. Like you got to call us in. We don't have that approach Uh, very much about self-empowerment. I want to give other people the tools to solve their own problems because it's way more effective that way. And I did the same thing. I said, listen, uh, Just take it back to where you found it, put it back in the cave, apologize. I know it's going to feel weird. Just apologize out loud, back out of the cave and just mean it. And that very likely will fix the issue. They were too scared. They didn't want to meet whoever put it there. Uh, They were afraid they couldn't find the cave again. They didn't want to be in the woods carrying this thing around. Um, And so they said, listen, can we just send it to you? Can you deal with it? I'm fine with that. We're, We're happy to do it. But... 99% 99% of the stuff people send us, I'm, I can willingly admit, we never experience anything with. I believe that other people are experiencing phenomena around it because I think that the paranormal is a very personal and subjective thing. Uh, but this this item was a little different. It shows up and we do what we always do. We take photos of it all the way around and we just go about our day. We We log it, we put it in the collection, and then that's that. Later that night I am watching TV We're we're in the uh, living room and I hear a crash in the office and Dana and I were like, ah, it's probably the cats, you know, they're, they're fighting. So I was like, I'll go break it up. So I get up to go to the office, which is on the other side of the, the, the old apartment. And I noticed that the office door is closed. I was like, well, that's kind of weird. So I look around the corner and I, Look in the bedroom. I don't see the cats. Turns out they're hiding under our bed. They're absolutely terrified. Oh. Anyone who has animals no, they're usually an early warning sign that something strange is going on. Uh, so I walk back over to the office. And I open the door. I don't see anything amiss until I feel something underneath my feet. I've almost stepped on Jesus, who has been ripped off of a crucifix hanging on the oh. wall. I look up at the crucifix, which only hung there by a single nail. So something had to have literally snapped it off. Two of the nails were missing. There was one still there and it just had a single arm swinging on it. I look down and the crone is right underneath of it. At that point, we both said, okay, this is uh, something to pay attention to we put a trail cam up <laughs> we wait a couple days um i think it took a couple weeks before it finally went off and one night it goes off there's three images on it uh when we look at them the next day there's lots of light anomalies in there but nothing that would ever convince a skeptic and Dana goes well that light looks like it's moving around what if you like you know flip through them real fast let's stitch them together and and you know see if we can get an idea of where that light comes from and where it goes What we ended up noticing is the statue itself moves on its own very slightly. It just moves, takes just a little bit of a turn. After that, we start smelling the pond water. One day Dana calls me into the living room and she says, were you just standing on the couch?
2: There were, it was so weird there. And and again, like there, you know, we photographed everything, documented everything. There were two perfectly wet, human footprints standing on the back of the couch so as if someone got up onto the the part of the couch that you lean against and stood there just like facing covering over your
0: shoulder yeah like oh, by your shoulder where your shoulders just <laughs> With perfect wet feet yeah just
2: wet a, per, a set of perfectly wet feet and <laughs> it was an
0: ikea couch don't worry about it okay, okay. <laughs>
2: it uh but like it you know the uh, the first thing that i thought of like in my, my logical brain is trying to function when all this weird thing stuff is happening and the only thing that i could think of was like it was you know just above it or sort of above it was a ceiling fan and i thought like did greg get out of the shower and change a light bulb or like (laughs) as you
1: do
0: like (laughs) i
2: couldn't but like you can see the heel you can see toes and like just in the weirdest spot imaginable just sitting there standing there on top of the back of the couch
1: I feel like at that point, that's when you have to get that like old uh, granny like plastic cover for a couch, <laughs> just to ensure that that doesn't ever happen again. Maybe the next time they'll slip. But okay, okay, okay. I'm on the edge of my seat. Okay, okay. <laughs> a- after that, uh, we were in bed one night.
0: Well, we'll I'll let you tell this part because you're the one who experienced it.
2: It. Uh, so I'm not a light sleeper. I'm I'm pretty. I, I, once I'm asleep, I'm asleep, and and this was shortly afterwards waking up in the middle of the night to see what looked like and the best way i can describe it is like it's so it was like seeing a living nightmare like i saw what looked like a tall shadow probably six feet tall if not a little bit more than that standing in the right in the doorway of uh my closet just standing there and move and kind of moving a little bit like enough that like again your logical brain kicks in in moments like that where i'm i my i want to explain it away so i was like is that, am i like did i hang up a jacket there and i'm just seeing the shape of it but it was like moving enough that I, I could tell that it wasn't just a piece of clothing and it was just like literally just standing there and moving like moving ever so slightly in the creepiest way possible
0: after that you said <laughs> well it's time to have the talk and we don't normally do this. Um, it feels very silly. It's silly to even describe, but we, uh, we took the statue, we set it in the living room table, and we just sat down and started talking and saying, listen, um, we want to share our space with you, but let's set some ground rules. You know, I, I, we don't want to be scared. We want to help. We want to do things. If there's something you need, like figure out a way to let us know what you need, we'll do what we need to do to fix it. And as we're having this discussion, we hear the sound of rushing water from the other side of the apartment. Um, any idea of the paranormal left my brain because in our previous apartment, we had gone through a burst pipe uh, from the second floor. And anyone who's gone through it knows it's horrific. It's terrible. So I jump up and I'm, we, we both run to the other end of the apartment. I'm trying to figure out how, well, where's this water coming from? How can we turn it off? But there's nothing there. And as we're standing there trying to figure out where this noise is coming from, we hear these thuds in the living room, just like, Doon, dun, 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 dun. and we walk back into the living room and the crone is gone. We start looking all over the place and I see that it has rolled off of the table and under the television stand. So I go over, I get down on my hands and knees and I reach under the television stand and I hear Dana shriek because the tv has started to slowly tip and was going to smash on my head
1: oh my god
0: if dana hadn't run over and grabbed it it would have got me uh Um. So I said, this
2: is also all happening in like a relatively short (laughs) time span. Like this isn't, this is like, uh, I've talked about this a lot, but like at this point, I'm feeling wildly out of control. Like this is, I'm like, this experience is, it's a lot. Like we were both really, really overwhelmed by what was happening.
1: Yeah. Just chaos.
2: Just yeah. One after the other, after the other.
1: Uh, we're
0: not like, we're not like ring of salt people. We're not like put it in a chest and lock it away or burn it or bury it type people. That's not what we're about again, conflict resolution. Um, but I said, I was like, listen, if this is how it's going to be, I'm going to have to do something I don't want to do. And I'm just going to have to like, put you in a box and put you away until we can figure out what to do with you. And as I'm saying that we heard three loud bangs on the wall and I said, okay, I'm going to take that as a confirmation. So we put it in a box, put a lock on it, and we just kind of stuck it on the bottom shelf in the office and tried not to think about it. But we have a traveling museum. Um, We travel across the country with this stuff. And one of the ways that we learn things is from meeting people who are smarter or more specialized than we are. Doing these events is a perfect way to do that. We've solved so many mysteries that way. So we decide, let's take this thing out. We just won't let people hold it. Um, there's very few items in the museum that we feel that way about, but because we didn't fully understand it, we kept it on the no touching list.
1: How did you travel with that?
0: Like, oh, in, in the, it's in it's in a box. It's just in the box with the lock on it. And then it travels separately from the other stuff in a chat. We have all kinds of like chests and um, a, a big tent that we set up. And uh, it, it looks like you're in a Victorian parlor when you walk in. And everything just kind of has its own box and its own special space. Um, Most of them don't need to be kept away from each other, but sometimes one of them can be a bad influence. (laughs) So so this one, we just, because we didn't know anything about it, we kept it locked up. We kept it separate. But as we started to take this thing out to events, we would meet people who would say, well, this is a dense wood. My family owns a lumber company. This wood is clearly from a swampy area, which is interesting. We're able to meet people who kind of have ideas about where they think this has originated. But the other thing we started to notice is that people who got near it would feel their eyes burn. They'd feel their throats close up. Um, There were people who came in and kind of made fun of the idea that something could be cursed or haunted and then came back the following day because... tire in their truck had blown out and pushed them across the median and and flipped over and almost got hit by a semi-trailer they blamed it on the crone lots of that type of stuff the last straw happened at an event in michigan one of the bigger paranormal events and we're at the end of this like convention hall uh and there had been a guy that had come from canada and he really wanted to see the crone we're pretty particular about some of the stuff we bring out depends on the crowd if they're like one of the crowds where people want to fight ghosts, <laughs> we don't pull some of that stuff out. You know the type.
2: <laughs> I think we're bros hunters. Broast hunters.
0: <laughs> uh, and this kind of felt that way. The vibe didn't feel right. But this guy kept asking and asking and asking. And so I you know, I looked at Dana and I said, well, maybe just for a second. So we unlocked the box and I pull it out of the pillowcase. And almost immediately there's this force that just it's hard to explain it's just this this feeling this energy just shoots down the convention hall um, papers are coming off of people's desks the lights are flickering some of them start to swing people are looking all over there was like a the woman across from us um had a bunch of books she was selling and her bottle of soda you know pops and falls over and k- destroys hundreds of dollars worth of books people are like freaking out genuinely freaking out and then we see at the end of the hall, there's a guy whose head has flung back in the air and he's bleeding out of his mouth. And he has this horrible seizure and has to be taken out by uh, paramedics. What? As this happens- <laughs> This
2: is also happening in front of like a, a convention hall. Yeah, hundreds of people. Of people.
1: <laughs> like, oh <it's> my <laughs>
0: God. The The guy who begged us to see it starts to cry and says, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, put it back, put it back, put it back. And then that's when Dana and I said, this thing has to go back to where it came yeah. from. We cannot travel with this thing anymore.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it's also at that point likely that it's not even an object that's safe for us to have in our collection. But also, like, there's something big going on here. So that's it, we need to definitely bring this back to its place of origin.
0: So long story short, we make a plan to return it to the mountain we know the relative area it was from um don't know exactly where the cave is but figure as long as we can get back to this place we can do uh, an unbinding ritual and we can whatever it is that is causing all of this let's remove the sources of the negativity let's remove the nails let's remove the noose dana can bless it and we can take it back to where it came from and Dana has sort of a, an online coven of sorts and teaches a lot of classes about witchcraft and and uh, sympathetic magic and all that stuff. So she recruits like a 100 or so witches from around the world <laughs> to help us uh, with this coordinated ritual. We end up hiking miles up into the mountains off the beaten path to this particular location. And then uh, once the sun goes down, Dana casts a circle, and almost immediately something keeps trying to get in, and it sounds like it's wearing like big boots, and it's just stomping around the circle that we can't leave until the ritual is complete.
2: So, one of the the idea of the circle is, if you want to think about it kind of energetically, it's it's the idea that we're creating a boundary, sort of a, a gateway, a boundary point, and as we're doing our ritual, we're we're working with an intention. And that intention is like, as Greg mentioned, an binding So uh, the way that I like to practice magic is by utilizing sacred circles, because it lets us kind of build energy without it dissipating. So we could have done the same ritual without having a circle, but then we're building all of this energy and we're, we're focusing on our intentions and there's really nothing energy, energetically there to kind of contain it so that we can channel it and focus it. So It was as if that boundary line that we had created that that sacred circle that we had created was sort of this this point where we were having these strange things kind of come up to the edge of it and and almost test it like we, we could hear physically hear the sound of of what sounded like a very large person like you mentioned in, in really heavy boots stomping all the way around our circle. And we're standing there in the middle of the woods you know, miles and miles away from everybody else looking at exactly where we're hearing the sound from. There's nothing there. There's not. it wasn't a person. It wasn't an animal. And it consistently kept happening throughout the course of the night, as we were doing our ritual, as if something was either interested in what we were doing and, and Mm -hmm. kind of drawn to that area, or it was something that, um, that just couldn't get within that space.
1: Oh
0: my God. I forgot one of the, one of the elements of the ritual was, because we are a museum and because it's important for us to preserve these stories and to continue talking about them and, and, and try and figure out the the true nature of these things. We wanted to have some kind of a relic of this to, to continue touring with, to continue showing people, to continue telling the story. So we recruited our friend, Tyler, who's a special effects makeup artist to do something that no, no special effects makeup artist in their right mind would ever do uh to cast a museum quality mold of this thing in the freezing weather on the top of a mountain in a tent <laughs> and and no other again i can't stress like you would need to have a specific temperature for the mold to set up like all the stuff we
2: had to bring a, a generator or like a, a heater with us a propane heater with us and the the hundreds
0: mol- of pounds of oh like my God. molding agent the tent oh my
2: God. <laughs> the separate tent alone had to be like a perfect environment for this molding, like 70 degrees. um, And and we were doing this at at the end of October. So it's, it's absolutely freezing outside by the time the sun sets. And we're just sort of like, hoping that we can keep this tent as, as hot as humanly possible because it needs to be like relatively warm for this this molding agent to actually even set. I've
1: had that done to my face before and it's one of the worst experiences ever. That would definitely piss off any uh, haunted objects. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we, well, we tried, we had this uh, this short-lived project where we were trying
0: to 3D scan haunted objects, which went about as well as you can imagine. <laughs> And we tried to do the crone, but we had to do that in a hotel because the guy who was our 3D uh, modeler, he had made a joke about the crone. He said like, oh, the crone can have my baby as a sacrifice, like, you know, tasteless joke, but a very, you know, it was funny at the time. And then later that night, he calls us frantically, like, like, uh, uh, skypes us frantically and shows us that his front door was open in there were wet footprints that went through his house, up the stairs, and there was a puddle of water in front of his crib, oh my his God. kid's crib. Fortunately, his kid was with uh, his mother-in-law that night. And so he refused. Like, we're not doing this yeah, in my like, house. We're not yeah. doing this in my house. So we had to get a hotel room. And then when he went to to modify the file, because we like to print these to see how they turned out, In order to print it, he had to digitally remove the noose and the nails. And to do that, he had to separate the head from the body. As soon as he separated the head from the body. In the file. In the file. Yeah. These fingers came out of the neck. And there are images of these where you can see these twisted fingers that are not connected properly. But you can see like
2: fingernail ridges
0: ridges on them and everything. Like 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 something is trying to crawl out.
1: Oh, my God. And
0: so we this was our last ditch effort was to do like an actual museum actual quality molds. mold on the mountain. So we had to still do that even in ritual space. Mm-hmm. It's a very weird thing to watch uh, Dana consecrate pliers, like really mundane tools that we needed for the ritual
2: yeah anything that we were using that night was part of that ritual so we we were having to kind of cleanse and purify like greg said pliers and and really really mundane things but it was all kind of part of this larger ritual that uh took place throughout the the course of the night
0: so um we we pulled all the nails out uh they were i mean it, it took the entire weight of my body to do it it's unnatural the way that they were in there pulled all the nails out um you know dana consecrated it we we ended up uh we took the noose off as soon as that noose came off there was like a pop of electricity in the air and we all just started to cry because we knew that it was gone like the thing that was in front of us was just a piece of wood at that same time all the coyotes on the mountain started to howl Mm -hmm. which we had not heard
2: at all at all the whole night
0: and then we had like a pack
2: of coyotes just just like screaming into the night
0: and so we all just kind of sat there and had a real good cry and uh molded the put the crone in the mold uh it was so cold we were unsure if it was going to set up but in the morning we um we buried her and said a few words and had essentially it was a funeral and uh never had a problem since so that's uh some some of the lengths we've had to go (laughs)
1: you guys this <laughs> is fix the movie. these problems <laughs> well, <laughs> This is like an incredible
0: movie story funny you should say that we have a feature-length documentary that i think is finally picture locked yeah. and it was a really weird one to do because it it started off as like a little half hour featurette that we were doing just for our museum members and our, our our friend carl who directed it he's he's who directed and edited hellier uh, he said, guys, this is too good. So we ended up expanding it into a feature-length film that's um, made up of all the all the footage that we had, recordings, live streams that we've had with evidence. it, Every, evidence I mean, files. We're pretty
2: obsessive documenters, so we really document as much of most of the experiences that we weird experiences that we have as possible so the whole thing was documented our entire
0: all the
1: iphone footage the from the ritual yeah and the whole thing oh my god i can't um, wait to see
0: this it's
2: so good and
0: we're pretty sure we figured out what the Chrome yes, was for we,
2: we did and
0: why what was done to it was done to it but we're keeping that secret for the (laughs) documentary.
1: Oh my God. Uh, That's like, that was literally my next question, but okay. Okay. No, that's great.
0: We're hoping later this year it'll be available, but um, yeah, we'll
1: see. Fingers crossed. Going back to the beginning of the story, there's, you know everybody has their theories and whatever, but people people will say that oh if if you have a a cursed object or a haunted object, you can't give it to someone. It's attached to you, whatever the thing is. Mm-hmm. So I mean, did you talk to the guy that found it after? had it all stopped for him? Oh no, he completely disappeared. the way that we oh, even he just w- disappeared. Well, so the way that we even,
0: it's kind of convoluted how we even got involved. We, okay, so we talked about the Finding Bigfoot episode that we'd shot. We spent two weeks with the crew driving around the mountains of California, telling them all kinds of crazy stories about the haunted objects and, you know, cases we've investigated and hanging out with alien abductees, like all that kind of stuff. And one of the crew members was reading the paranormal subreddit over on Reddit And one of the guys had posted there about finding this thing and experiencing all this stuff and not knowing what to do. So this guy uh, who is a production assistant, literally on another shoot, just sitting there killing time in a van, you know, production, hurry up and wait. He's just killing time. Sees this remembers all the stories we were telling him and says, Hey, you should get in touch with Greg and Dana Newkirk. They deal with things like this and they might be Mm -hmm. able to help you. So that, is how we ended up talking to this guy was literally through Reddit on a Reddit throwaway account. And then after he sends it wanted nothing to do with it. And uh, I periodically have checked and I've tried to reach out, especially as we were working on the documentary, but there's, there's never any response. So I don't know. I mean, the thing is like, this is the craziest thing about stories like this is this could very well have been a hoax. It could be an art project. Uh, it could be an actual haunted, like cursed object. That doesn't matter when you start to think about the idea of like egregores mm-hmm. and thought forms and the idea of intention, because it's, that's how a curse mm-hmm. starts enough. People believe in it. And then that's big part of the reason why we felt like we had to go to the mountain, why we had to sever our own connection to this, because once we started experiencing stuff, we're telling other people stories about this. they start to experience stuff. So we have a hand in yeah. propagating this this story, this curse. and uh by us going up, whether you're a skeptic or a believer um and that even you know that's even for us. I try to be very agnostic. I try to live in one world and, and another at the same time. but the physical act of going up the mountain, pulling those nails out pulling that noose off severing our own connection to it and then f- like finalizing this 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 tail whatever this is putting an end cap on it also does that for other people and effectively breaks right. that spell and so it works on a psychological level it works on a, a paranormal level however you need to look at it um it's putting an end to that story and thus putting an end to that activity. You
1: got you guys really like break stigma or something around so much of this stuff because i mean most people myself included would be like nope i'm out of here like i would have n- i would <laughs> never go out i wouldn't go out in the woods no matter what but the fact that you guys <laughs> do, do it and live to tell the tale I think it really does um, take away some of that power of of these things being so, you know, scary. And I, I hope so. I mm-hmm. think we get.
0: I, I think for very obvious reasons, and I don't fault people for this. Uh, I think we get compared to people like Ed and Lorraine mm-hmm. Warren a lot, but we try to be the anti Ed and Lorraine Warren <laughs> yeah. because I, I don't. I didn't like the way that they. Again, if you believe that these things have an intelligence to them you really have a responsibility to treat them that way. Mm -hmm. If somebody, if you've got a friend who's in a bad mood, you try and figure out what it is. You don't lock them in a box and put them in a ring of salt and then like every once in a while come rattle the cage so they do a trick. You know what I mean? (laughs) That's the wrong way to deal with this stuff if you're an intelligent, compassionate human being. And so I hope that by us telling these stories, I hope by us sharing these experiences and sharing the way that we deal with them, and sharing the way that we try to give other people self-empowerment in their own scary situations with uh, paranormal phenomena, they maybe choose curiosity instead of choosing fear. Because the whole thing is like, if you can learn to not be afraid of the monster under your bed, if you can make friends with the monster under your bed, you can make friends with the guy down the street who has a different spiritual belief than you or mm. or is it you know has a different view on on gender or sexuality or whatever it, just be kind to everything give everything the benefit of the doubt and that makes the world a better place
1: oh that's beautiful <laughs> <laughs> thank you greg and dana newkirk don't you worry, baby. We got more next week with part two, so make sure you're subscribed to the show. Also, you can hear a little bit extra of us talking about Bigfoot more on patreon.com slash Hey, please rate the show five stars if you like it and tell your friends about it. Don't forget, go to Phenomenal Con. You can see me... I will be there. It's all the last weekend of February, and I will be there on the 27th. That is a Sunday. Uh, You can stream it from home. Patreon.com slash Paramuseum is where you can get those tickets. We'll be talking about that more next week. Join our Facebook group called Ghosted by Ros Drezvelez. Send me your ghost stories. You could do it at ghostedbyroz at gmail.com or in a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I'm on Instagram at Roz Hernandez, TikTok and Twitter at it's Roz hernandez. I love you all, both living and dead. But if I didn't ask you to haunt me, don't haunt me. Okay, bye!